The blessed stories are so inspiring, so encouraging, and we celebrate what God's doing here locally and globally together, one church family. Thanksgiving's coming up on Thursday, and I want to give you some encouragement when it comes to gratitude. The Bible says we enter his courts with thanksgiving. And also, one verse that stands out, give thanks to God at all times, for this is God's will for us, to give thanks in all circumstances. That does not mean that all circumstances are good. It doesn't say that. It says, in all circumstances, give thanks to God who is always good. And I think one of the most important habits we can cultivate is that gritty gratitude of thanking God even when we don't feel like it, even when the blessings and the prayers haven't been answered how we want to, to continue to thank God. And research shows, as again, as we think biblically, research shows that giving thanks to God, it's good for our mental health. It lessens anxiety. It helps us not overfocus on what we don't have. It protects us from envy and greed and jealousy. It's also good for our physical health in a longer life. It's literally good for your heart to be thanking God during the day. God knew. And then also your walk with God. The Bible says every blessing we have comes from our Father above. There is not one blessing in your life of the 10,000 and more There's not one that doesn't come from God. He is worthy. Give him thanks. Give him praise. Not just on a Thursday, but let's do that throughout the day. And you know what? It's inspiring. It's contagious. You will change the culture. It's really hard to complain and give thanks at the same time. You know, it's really hard to worry and give thanks at the same time. You kind of have to choose one or the other. It is wise, it is always good, it is healthy to give God thanks. Don't be stingy with giving God thanks. We can't act like he's only done a couple small things. That just wouldn't be right. And I remember living in Africa and it blew me away how much gratitude I saw. And it didn't make sense to me because I thought the bank accounts, the houses, they're just not there, like the neighborhood I grew up in. How can there be so much gratitude And when I moved back to America, something shifted in me. I I thought, I want to live that way. I don't want to be complacent, entitled. I want to live with a a real gratitude every day. And Thanksgiving is just a reminder again to stop, to slow down, how much God has given to us. Maybe you've been focusing on your problems lately. And what happens when you focus on your problems? What do they do? Get smaller or do they grow? They just keep growing. And the more you focus, the more they get bigger. And then the more they get bigger, the more you focus. Break that cycle and give God thanks. Watch what God will do. We enter his course with thanksgiving. It's one of the reasons I love to gather here and and together as family. Things are a little different today. You probably noticed. And this stage is coming along under construction. We knew this Sunday was going to be interesting. But the good news is everything's going well. The final Layer, the final coat is coming tomorrow, Lord willing, and we'll be back next weekend just like uh, it's, it usually is, and we'll re-enter into that. So if you like normalcy, next weekend's your weekend. It, this weekend's going to be a stretch, and we thank you for your flexibility. You know, it, it reminds me so often, like when there's a prophet or something in the Bible, there'll be something tangible and then something spiritual, right? Jesus will give bread, and then he'll say, no, I am the bread of life. And the prophets will set up something physical, but it points to something spiritual. And with today, 
I think not having anything up front, and please don't walk on or touch or, you know, we don't want to extend this any extra weeks, but not having this, there's a simplicity. Amen? There's a simplicity and just a closeness and connection, intimacy. Today's message, as we've been going through and planned this a while back, it's on the simplicity of love and the priority of love. We're in a series of connecting with each other, and today is connecting with one priority, this priority of love. And I think this design today helps us. It's memorable today, because this isn't what usually happens, to return to God and to his love, to receive his love, and that his love is more important than anything else. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that you are love and that your love satisfies our souls. Father, forgive us for the times when we run, we resist, we refuse the great love you have for us. Jesus, we thank you that no one can separate us from your love. And God, we taste and see that you are good. I pray for every heart and every part of a heart that is lonely, frustrated, discouraged, fearful. God, thank you that your love drives out fear. And we pray your love would have the victory in our hearts and lives today, in our homes today, in our church today. And we need it in our nation today. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. The key for being connected is love. There is nothing greater than love. That's not going to change. That will never change. Love is preeminent and love is from God. What we really want and what we really need so often is love. I've met with a lot of people, a lot of counseling. When the counseling finishes and I'm processing everything and there's a lot to analyze and think through, there's something at the core where somebody wasn't receiving love from God, from someone else. What cries out is this desire for more love. And we are designed There's a divine design, and all of us are made in God's image. All of us are wonderfully made, and all of us have this commonality. We are designed to receive and give love, and there's no greater love than the love from God. Primary in our lives is to receive God's love, and as we receive, we're going to give God's love, and God's love grows in our lives. Now, when you hear about love, some of you maybe want to step back because you're thinking, Oh, this is going to be sappy. You know, like those corny cards when you go in the supermarket. There's some sappy songs that come to mind. And you think, this is going to be a version of love that's kind of wimpy. The version of love, the real love in the Bible, has nothing to do with wimpy. It's as rugged and courageous as possible. It's not sappy, what we're talking about today. And then in our culture... There's really been a sabotage when it comes to love, trying to redefine love. Let me say it clearly from Scripture. Love includes truth. Love rejoices with truth. Love and truth go together like railroad tracks. They're always together. God's committed to love and truth. Love includes accountability. There's a version of love today that's not real love that just says you can do whatever you want and that's fine. And real love just approves everything. Real love does not approve everything. The Bible says we crucify our flesh. The rebellion in our hearts, that's not love. Dishonoring God and his word, that's not love. 
The Bible says we crucify the flesh. We don't celebrate the flesh. We don't celebrate sin and say, oh, that's wonderful. Everybody take as much as you want of sin because real love always supports sin. That's not the version of love from God. There's a lot of confusion about love today. And love is far more than feelings. People who love God talk about love like it's just a feeling. Well, I fell in a love. I fell out of love. You know, I got married. I fell in love. I got married. And then two years later, I fell out of love, so I got divorced. No, no, no. You don't just fall in and fall out of love like it's feelings that come and go randomly. And when you don't feel it, then you just step out of it. That's not how love works. Love is not a feeling. What is love? We've got a culture that's really wondering, what is love? Who loves me? Is there any real love in a dark, cold, lonely world? Where can you get it? Well, what is love? Love is a choice. No one loves you more than God. No one is more committed to you than God. Love is a commitment. Love isn't a measuring of how much have you done for me, didn't meet my expectations. I don't think love is really what I'm going to bring here. That's not love. That's not the love of God. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment. Love is full of truth. Love includes sacrifice. Love is not self-serving. Love includes sacrifice. The reason we have a cross above me, the reason why many people wear a cross around their neck is because there's never been a greater love than what was demonstrated on that cross. The perfect sinless Savior died for our sins. It was his sacrifice. Love includes sacrifice. If you're wondering if you're loved, think about the cross. Jesus demonstrates love. He didn't just talk about love. He just didn't teach love well. He lived love. He demonstrated love. That's God's love. And if you think, well, am I worth much? Does my life have much value? Go to the cross because Jesus thinks you're worth dying for. That you're so valuable and your soul for eternity is so important that he died to be with you forever. There's no greater love than the love of Christ. Well, what do you do with that kind of love? You start to receive more of that love. Real love is tested. God is faithful. God is good. The Bible says God is love. God is love. God is light. God is a consuming fire. God is love. When you read those three words, God is love, and it sinks into your mind, and then it sinks into your heart and into your soul, you know what happens? It recalibrates everything. It changes the way we see other people. God is love. If you know God, you know and rely on his love, you're going to love people like Jesus. And there comes a point of confession in being honest where we all need to say, we want to grow in love. We want to grow in love, in receiving love, in giving love. We want to become more like Jesus. Religion says, well, if I just have the right answers, I don't really need to love that much. That's not really coming from God. We like to rationalize it and say, well, I'm doing A, B, and C, and I'm serving A, B, and C, so I don't really need to love that much because I'm doing so much. But that's religion. It doesn't come from God. God is love. What would it look like today to receive more of God's love? 
to open up your mind and heart and soul and receive more of God's love? What would that look like for you in your relationship with God? To be filled with his love, to start to give his love away in fresh and exciting ways. That's the vision Paul has. That's the vision God has for the church that's in Corinth, the Corinthians, and he's writing them in love. He wants the best for them. They're struggling. They're struggling with love. And as he writes this, he talks about the body of Christ, reminding them that there's one family. God has one family and one body and unite together in love. Corinth was unique. There were Jews and Gentiles and they didn't get along well. And the message is that God's love is greater than our differences. And God's love will bring us together in unity, but we need to abide with Jesus and live out that unity. Apart from Jesus, we're not going to experience that unity and that love. He's giving vision to them. They were excited about spiritual gifts. There is so much talent, so many gifts God has distributed in this room. It'd be easy to be excited about spiritual gifts and to talk about the different gifts and who has gifts and how they're using their gifts. And the focus can become on spiritual gifts. The Corinthians were immersed with talk about spiritual gifts. And they were also fascinated and they celebrated the spectacular spiritual gifts. It reached a point where it was very unhealthy in the church. Now, spiritual gifts are significant. We don't want to deteriorate at all. They're a gift from God. But love is far greater than any spiritual gifts. And the church needed to recalibrate how they viewed love, how they viewed connecting, how they viewed other people, and how they viewed walking with God. They needed to recalibrate. And Paul's going to take this truth about spiritual gifts and lead in now to chapter 13. And it begins with, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Paul says, I'm going to show you the most excellent way. And that word way doesn't mean a slight change, just a little adjustment. It doesn't mean a manner that's very gradually different. It means a road. He's saying to the Corinthians, you've been going down a road and there's patterns in this world. You've been doing things a certain way in your relationships. You've been on a road. Now I'm going to show you a road that is different and it's much better. Do you want to make that jump, Corinthians, from the road you're on to the road that's from God? Because it's not just a couple of little tweaks. This is a whole different road. And when it comes to different roads in our culture, we like to say, oh, that road's not better. It's just different. You can just do this road or that road. and It's not better. It's just different. That's not Paul's message. That's not God's message. He's saying to the Corinthians, you're on one road and this road is so much better. This road is so much more fulfilling. This way of life is so excellent that if you go down this road, you're going to wonder, how did I stay on that other road for so long? This road is so good. Can I tell you, Corinthians, about the most excellent way? And he writes this poem, this song. It's been called a hymn of love. It's very poetic. And he's doing it in a way that compares compares different aspects of our life and compares it with the preeminence of love. He really highlights three traps. They're common. They're traps to avoid. We're going to recognize these three traps. The first one is that some people have abilities and admiration, but not much love. They have abilities and they are admired, but they don't have much love. He writes in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. 
speaking or serving, doing it with excellence. Some of you really enjoy communication and speaking to other people. Some of you enjoy serving and rolling up your sleeves and doing tasks very well. It's noble to use your gifts. It's good to use your spiritual gifts. And to develop your gifts, that's what God's doing in your life. Absolutely, we don't wanna diminish that in any way. And yet Paul is saying it's possible to serve all out and it's possible to speak eloquently and bring a message, but not really have much love in your heart. You can do things and say things, but not really have God's love in your heart. Eloquence was admired in the first century. If someone could speak eloquently, they were admired, respected. It was such a high value. They were looked up to. And yet Paul is saying someone could speak eloquently and their heart's in the wrong place. You can do the right things on the outside, but the inside isn't right. We live today in a culture that's addicted to performance. Well, what did you do? How well did you do it? How long you been doing it? How trained are you to do it? What's your position? What's your title? What are your degrees? Outside, 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 outside. But the real story is the inside. God isn't fooled by the outside. God looks at the heart. People look at the outside, the awards, the credentials, the achievement, the success, the dedication. We appreciate it. If you go to a symphony, you appreciate the dedication. If you step into a school, you appreciate the educators. You appreciate, if you go to a physician, the insights because of the research they've done. If you have problems with your computer, you appreciate the excellence of someone that can sort through that. And so your computer and your Wi-Fi are working correctly. We appreciate in a good way some of the gifts and talents that people have. But what we undervalue is what's going on on the inside story. And that's where God sees. God weighs the motives of the heart. Motives are very significant for God. Love is very significant from God. And you can accomplish and say a whole lot of things that impress a whole lot of people. And yet there's love that's missing in your heart. And God sees it. And he wants to change it and bring it. That's where God is leading the Corinthians. It's going to be a big shift for them. The outer story. The inside story. The depth of knowledge as someone's a communicator speaking back then. Again, there was a great appreciation for knowledge. There was an appreciation for messages that were spoken. There's an appreciation for that. But God is not overly impressed with the depth of our knowledge or our eloquence. That's not where God's looking. What he's looking at is the depth of the love in the heart of the person who's serving. Of the person, the depths of the love in the heart, in the message that's shared. That's the most important thing. And Paul's writing this to the Corinthians in love so that they'll start to shift, repent, align with God, with his love, with his truth. They'll start to align with heaven. And then if they do that, their homes will start to align with heaven because it starts with the heart. And then it moves to the home. If the hearts aren't right, the home's not right. If the hearts get right, the home gets right. When the home gets right, the churches get right. The churches don't get right if the homes aren't right. 
if the hearts and the homes aren't right with love, there's no way we all show up and do a big religious phony deal on the outside and say, look how awesome we do church. We got the outside figure out we're really fooling people well. God sees that in Corinth and he says, no, we're gonna get to the heart of this. And it's gonna be my love in your heart that's gonna change everything. And that was a challenge for the Corinthians. It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for me. Well, this is the second aspect that he highlights. Some people have answers and accomplishments, but not much love. Verse two, if I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Paul's talking about how much we know. Mysteries, revelation, prophecy. The church in Corinth, they love prophecy. How did you know that about me? How did that become so clear to you? How can you tell me about the future and it's accurate? Like, wow, what a gift, prophecy. Woo, that's impressive. New knowledge, new revelation, new prophecy. And they were wowed by that. You know, I find it interesting in my years in serving in a church, never thought I'd be here. Uh, God has surprises for your life. I never thought I'd follow God. Didn't believe he existed. He changed that. I, I realized facts lead to faith. The facts about Jesus are true. God led me into ministry, into church. I never saw that one coming. Faith is trusting God in his leadership. And what I've noticed, because I didn't grow up in church, is that I hear this word deep a lot over the decades. Deep, deeper, deep, so deep, deeper, deeper, deeper. It's like it's the ultimate. And I try to unpack that with people. Like, well, what do you mean deeper? And usually it means deeper knowledge. Some insight I haven't had before. Deeper revelation. Deeper theology. All those things are good. All those things are good. Be a student of the word. Learn new things. Yes to theology. Yes to going deeper in knowledge. Deeper, when people say deeper, it usually means some insight they don't have yet. A new insight, a new principle. That's what it usually means in my experience. What I haven't heard much of is I want to go deeper in love. I want to go deeper in God's love. I want to go deeper in receiving love. I want to love people in a much deeper way. I'm so passionate about going deep in love. I would tell you that I've heard it 20 times about going deeper in knowledge for every one person that said, I want to go deeper in love. And that's just listening. I'm not judging. I'm just listening to the desire of our heart. And sometimes we think the pathway to God, it's all through principles and knowledge. But I want to tell you closeness with God. This isn't principles and formulas. This is a relationship that's dynamic. And in this relationship, what's of utmost importance is that you abide with Jesus and receive his love. And the deeper you go with Jesus in his love, the more you're gonna be an overflow where you live, work, learn, or play. Friends, relatives, acquaintances, neighbors, coworkers, they're not even gonna question the amount of love you have because you're abiding with Jesus that that love is so great, it just overflows, it can't be contained. And there's no shortcut for that. You can't fake that deal. Because if you don't receive God's love, you're going to go back to knowledge rules and you're going to try to call it religious and safe. But what's missing is the love. 
What's missing is the love. Well, what can we gain? Mountains can be moved by faith. That's awesome when mountains are moved. I celebrate. I remember them. I thank God for them. God moves mountains. Has God ever made a way for you when there's no way? Has God ever helped you overcome an obstacle when it didn't make any sense and the doctor said it wouldn't happen and the mountains move? Praise God. Faith and mountains moving. That's awesome. We should celebrate it. We don't want to diminish it in any way. And yet, what do we hear? If we don't have love, that's nothing. It's nothing. In debt, God provides out of debt. If that didn't lead to love, if that isn't drenched in love, that whole mountain moving means nothing. You know what that word means there in the original language? Nothing doesn't mean it's still pretty good. It doesn't mean like if I God provides and I get out of debt, but I don't have love. Getting out of debt was still pretty good. That's not what it means. If God provides, God healed me physically. God healed me emotionally. God did a great work. You know what? If I don't have love, it means nothing. Nothing. That's strong when he says it. Galatians 5. Look at verses 6 through 8. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. If anyone or anything distances you from God, then they're not acting from God. It's not from God. Circumcision and uncircumcision, in a certain dispensation in the Bible, it was very significant. It had a lot of value and meaning, and it was a setting apart, a consecration. It was significant, an outward action. But now, as you continue in the Bible, you see about a circumcision of the heart. Circumcision, not circumcised, outward, not that much value. A circumcision of the heart. Well, what does that mean? Faith is not really primarily about rituals and outside activities, it is about the heart. I remember serving at a church where the student ministry group was called FUEL. I thought, what a great name, FUEL. Here's the acronym. Faith ultimately expresses love. Faith ultimately expresses love. How do you know if someone has real faith? You see a whole bunch of love. A lot of people talk faith. A lot of people talk about how they're trusting, believing. They can say all that if you don't see much love, there's really not that much faith. Love is most important. How do you know if someone's filled with the Holy Spirit? Through the Spirit. Love. Yes. Love. If someone tells you, I'm so spiritual, I've got so much of the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's just doing all these things in my life, and you don't have much love right there, what is that? What is that talk? Oh, I've got prophecy. Oh, I've got the Spirit. Oh, I've got revelation. How's the love? Because if that stuff's real, you should see the love. If the love's not there, something's off with the foundation, the view of God, the faith. Something's twisted in there because if it's from God, it ultimately expresses love. What does love tell us? People are more important than programs. That's one we could probably all repent on in church. Sometimes I'm more focused on goals than I should be means people over programs. It means relationships more than concepts. 
It means receiving and giving love more than achieving and building up some awesome resume. You might have one of the greatest resumes in your department, but that's not what matters at the end of your days. What matters is the love. This is a huge shift for the Corinthians. And again, without love, it means absolutely zero. That's the biblical perspective. If the love's missing, it doesn't mean anything. We're not sure we like that. I mean, we've been serving and doing a lot of things. Without love, what is that? Well, Paul goes a little deeper in love on this one. He says some people ultimately have altruism and they have allegiance, but not much love. Look at verse three. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Poetic, hyperbole. Paul says, let's just take this to the nth degree. Break it down. There's a lot of philanthropy that happens. There's a lot of self-sacrifice that happens. But if you peel back the layers underneath it, there's still a lot of self-centeredness underneath that philanthropy. Why? Because there's part of our flesh that wants recognition. We want appreciation. We want attention. We want the story to be about us. We want the talk to be about us. We want to impress other people. We want to have those things. So there's an element back in Corinth and still today, there's an element of look at me as I'm giving. Look at me as I'm sacrificing. I'm giving more. I'm sacrificing more. I'm serving more than the rest of you. Look at me. And that taints what God is really doing. It was called showboating, and it's still called showboating. Well, what does that look like? If I give, will you announce my name? If I give, what list will I be on? Does that put me on the gold list or the silver list? What wing of the building, if I give the millions, will be dedicated to me? Will my plaque go on the back of every chair or just some of the chairs? Now, I'm not saying that those approaches are altogether wrong. Clearly, it's working and can stimulate some generosity. I'm not here to say those are all wrong. But what I am doing is trying to highlight that sometimes our motives are off. And what Paul is saying is that someone could give and give and give all day long and not have much love. Someone could suffer even for the cause of Christ and suffer, but not have much love. And we get tripped up over how much recognition and attention and praise am I receiving instead of just slowing down and saying, God, am I really walking in your love and doing it for the right reasons and not the rewards that are gonna impress other people? That's at the heart of what Paul's saying. And we step out of that. This is about God's perspective, his passion, his presence, his power. Look at Romans chapter 13. As we consider verses 8 to 10 in Romans chapter 13. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. There's the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law is good. Those commandments are good. Why are they good? They reveal God's character. They tell us more about God and his holiness. And they also convict us. The law convicts us and reminds us that we are lawbreakers and we need a savior. The law doesn't change hearts. The law protects and provides. It's important in the land to have laws, but laws don't change the human heart. Laws don't fulfill the laws. Love fulfills the law. The laws point to love. You say, well, what's the ultimate? Love God with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor. That doesn't happen until we receive God's love. Love is the ultimate. If you're someone who's law bent, thinking if we just get five more laws in King County, everything's going to straighten out. The law can't accomplish that. It's the love of God that changes people's hearts. In parenting, if you're someone that's rule-bent and you think, if I just hit these five rules harder, their hearts are going to change. They don't. Relationships that are around rules, there ends up being two-faced or it's shallow or it's formal or you fake someone out. But rules don't lead to connection and love. Rules and laws have their place. But where lives change is with the love. It's with the love. It's not like rules and laws, love. Oh, it's a close call. It's really a close call. No, rules and laws have their place. We need parameters and limits. We need a system of justice that's fair, equality. But it's the love that heals. It's the love that restores. When trauma happens to all of us, it's not a bunch of rules that are gonna get you there. It's not going to be keeping the rules, being a better law-abiding person. That's not going to bring the healing. It's going to be receiving the love. And God brings his love directly through his word and his spirit. God brings his love through other people. And a lot of us have resistance on our hearts and walls around love because we've been hurt, we've been burned, we've been disappointed, and we've gotten calloused in our hearts And we're trying to survive with just a little bit of love. And we think if I just do my job well, if I just smile with a good attitude, it'll be good enough. And God's saying there's a most excellent road that's not your road. And it's a road of love and it starts with receiving. It's not manufacturing, it's receiving over striving. And if you're looking to leave today, well, give me the four principles, how I can have love, live love. It's like, I'm not giving you formulas and principles. This is relational, and this is receiving the love of God. 1 John 4, 16 says it this way. And so we know, that's not know about, that's not knowledge, that's not pass the test on the doctrine. That's we know, we experience, we've tasted, and we rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Let's say those three words together. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. What are we learning about love? What are we learning about love? I don't think it's ever been more important. I've been around a few decades more than I thought, uh, but but that, that can't argue with the number. It's the truth. I can't think of a year in my life where there's been more anxiety, worry, 
hopelessness, fear, stress, exhaustion around the world than what I see right now. And the answer is the love of Jesus. It's the answer today. What about this love? What are we learning? A couple things I wrote down. One, there is really no real connection without love. You can have shallow relationships based on activities and some things you hold in common or you look similar, you talk same language. There's no real connection without love. God is correcting the view of the Corinthians have of him, of relationships, of people, of ministry, of church, and of connecting. He's changing all that. It starts with the heart. You don't love your neighbor until God's love is in your heart. If you have lots of love, then it leads to more unity. If you don't have much love, there won't be much unity. If you have a lot of love, you go to people, like Jesus went to people and broke the cultural norms over and over and over again. If you have a lot of love in your heart, you're constantly breaking cultural norms and connecting with people in a way that makes people scratch their head. and Like, what's going on over here? Because that's what the love of God does. But if you don't have that, you retreat, you get more self-centered, self-focused, you create a little bubble, a little echo chamber, you cut off, you don't really know your neighbors, and you think that this is gonna be great. It's not gonna be great. It really isn't. It's a change. Second, love is available to everyone. Spiritual gifts are distributed by God. Some people over here have the gift of help. Some have the gift of administration. Some have leadership. Some have teaching. God distributes the gifts. You don't get to pick the gifts. God distributes the gifts. Some people have some gifts. Other people have other gifts. The good news about love, everyone has full access to the love of God. Everyone in this room is made in the image of God. Everyone in this room is wonderfully made and everyone has full access to the love of God. You say, well, my past is a lot uglier than the person sitting three chairs over. You have equal access to the love of God that the person three seats over and stop comparing, just follow Jesus. Spiritual gifts are special. You can use them sometimes during the week. Sometimes, sometimes, some days, some moments. The love of God, all week long. All week long. If you're the first person up in the morning or in the middle of the night you can't sleep, the love of God is with you all week long. Love is greater than the spiritual gifts. There's no comparison. The spiritual gifts are just an expression, a way to express the love of God if it's in your heart. What else? We see that you can chase and enjoy trends, but love is always the priority. 2,000 years ago in Corinth, love is the priority. Today, there's nothing greater than love. A hundred years out, nothing's going to run ahead of love. And in heaven, we're finally going to have perfect love. I know people like to think about heaven. Our minds, the Bible says, can't even conceive it. We can't wrap our minds around heaven. It's interesting to talk about what foods are going to be there, what sports, what language are we going to speak, uh, what age are we going to appear to be. Like there's all sorts of, what songs are we going to sing? I mean, things about heaven, people want to know. Here's what we do know. Love will finally be perfect and full. From God, with each other, What causes you the most pain right now is probably the love that's missing. All that is provided in abundance in heaven forever. When you look forward to heaven, 
Just look forward to the love because it's coming, it's unstoppable, it's guaranteed, and it's forever. We get excited when we hear about love because we know the future. We know how the story ends. We know what's coming. We know our inheritance. We know what we're going to walk into. That's our home. This is not our home. That's our home. That's where we want to spend eternity. God's love. God's love makes us secure. We are far more insecure than we want to admit. What they think of me? How'd I do? What grade did I get? What does my employer think of me? What was my rating? What did you just think of me? Can you give me some good feedback? I mean, I'll admit after church, it's like, how'd I do? How'd I do? That's some of my first thoughts. How'd I do? We're insecure. God's love makes us secure. His love gives us security. You know what security leads to? Authenticity. You can't be authentic if you're not secure. When you're secure in God's love and anchor for the soul, now you can be authentic. Now you can be who God designed you to be. You know what else you can do? You can start to let people in. Intimacy, see into me. You let people in to some of your failures. I used to have this vision of relationships that like your success, we'll talk about that. And then my success, we'll talk about that. And God loves our success. That is such a partial, shallow view of relationships. Where relationships get real is when you say, I messed up. I don't have this figured out. I'm hurting. I've got some doubts. I'm really stressed about this. I'm worried. But could we ask God to come in and then share? I went through this, but this is what God did. This is what he taught me. This is how he provided. This is some of the healing that God's brought. See, God loves you right where you are right now. And God also loves you enough to meet you there and help to change you to be more like Jesus. And if we can't share our failures and our fears and the stuff that's not right in our lives, those relationships we're settling for, they're shallow. shallow. God moves when we connect. Someone texted me this week and said, our misery becomes the ministry where God changes us and then we build up one another, we overcome together and it all gives God the glory. Have you been settling for relationships that are just a little bit fake? They're just a little bit too guarded? It's just partial and not that real? Do you know how to open up that part of your life to God? And do you know the healing God wants to bring through other people? Be discerning, be age appropriate, but you start to open up and God moves. That's what God wanted to do in Corinth. They were struggling with sin and strongholds and selfishness. They were struggling. And the only way it would change in that church is if God's love came in and invaded their hearts and relationships, their homes as well. It means relationship risks with God and each other. God's love includes two things, new creation and new community. The new creation part, we celebrate. Yes, God's doing a new work in my life. He's renewing his, my mind with scripture. God is helping me to learn how to pour my heart to him in prayer. God is reminding me of the promises that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God is building me up. God's doing those things personally, and that's good. You are a new creation in Christ. If you don't know Christ, make a decision today to follow him. And when you do, you're a new creation. You're in God's family forever. That is an important part of your walk with God. But the second part in the Western part of America gets overlooked. New creation and new community. 
a new community in Corinth where Jews and Gentiles get along, a new community where the different generations come together, a new community where people just speak different languages, listen to each other, understand and value each other, a new community with equality and love, a new community that stands out because the hope for the Galatians is that they would live in a way that their love changes Galatia. The Corinthians changes Corinth. The Thessalonians changes Thessalonica. What happens in the new community that God's raising up is that it looks so different than what happens at work and school and the job that this new community called the church, the local churches, the light of the world starts to shine so bright that the darkness has to flee. Don't shrink God's vision to just my growth, my development, me, promises for me, focuses on me. It's yes, me, and yes, we. We. If you miss the we, I got to take a look at time. We're probably going a little long. Let's wrap up. Let's wrap up. Um, let me close with this story right here. And this is a picture, our drive through prayer team. Can we give it up for our drive through prayer team? I, I could have picked a hundred stories. This is just the one that jumped out to me when I'm thinking about love. I know the team and their hearts are full of love. And it takes love because love takes sacrifice and courage to go out to the edge of our campus, the busiest street, every Friday, winter's coming. Who wants to be out in the rain and the cold holding up a sign where three people wave to you, 50 people do nothing, and then a few more people flip you something, right? Like that's just the reality of the ministry. And what are you going to do day after day with that? Well, this is Greg. He's one of our elders. He serves on the team. And Greg made a decision when he was six years old to follow Jesus. In Greg's own words, he says that that decision at six years old was more real than anything he's ever done. And that decision to put his trust in Jesus as a kid well, Greg's on the team. Greg holds a sign and just waves to people, smiles, ministers, prays for all the cars going by. And then some pull into the parking lot. And there's a car that pulled in the parking lot on Friday night. And this was a boy and his mom. And the boy was seven years old. And the boy told mom, pull in. And mom thought, no, we're just gonna keep going. The boy insisted, pull in. He saw the prayer sign and he said, pull into the parking lot. So mom and her son pulled into the parking lot. Someone on our team, Michelle, Michelle was there and started to talk to them to find out what they wanted prayer for. And then Michelle sensed in love to share about Jesus and then shared with the boy. Has mom's permission. Mom says, go ahead. You can share. Shared about, call it the gospel, the good news. Jesus died for our sins and he's risen. It's a relationship. You put your trust in Jesus. God invites everyone. And God already loves us. He knows us. He pursues us. But we make a decision to say yes to God. And that little boy, seven years old on Friday night, said, that's what I want. And he put his trust in Jesus. The love of God that changed Greg's heart when he was six and has sustained him through many trials. The love of God that grows. You heard about Brent in the story. God's love came into Brent's heart. He just pulled out that Auburn yearbook. 
when God's love gets in your heart, he just started to pray for all the students. And then he taught the students and they started to come in the class, the ones he's been praying for. And then God's love is in his heart. And when God said, now move from Auburn to Alaska, it doesn't matter if it's Alaska, Victoria, Mongolia, or India. What isn't gonna change is that God's love is in his heart and he's gonna show up and love the people. Those students, he's gonna share the love of Christ and the love of Christ will grow around all of Alaska. Greg's heart, full of the love of Christ, compels him because Christ's love compels him and compels us. And so he goes to a street corner where it's not so comfortable and warm and holds up a sign because there's little kids in Auburn who are seven years old just wondering, how do I make it in 2023? Maybe there's some hope over there. And they pull in and they come to know Jesus and now their hearts have a love of Christ and the love of God overcomes the darkness. Not all ways of doing life are equal. They're not. So choose the most excellent way. It's God's love and it glorifies Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time and the sense we have today of how good and vast your love is for us. And God, right now, we want to not focus on the week, the tasks, even other people. Right now, we just want to focus on you. And God, we pray in this moment that we would peel back some layers, God. Some hard hearts would soften. Some minds would be renewed with your love right now, God. That this would be a time to do nothing but receive. This is not a formula. There's nothing to achieve or perform right now. It's just to let God's truth and love sink in deeply and don't resist it. Perfect love drives out fear. Perfect love drives out worry. 